Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 123 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Bonjour. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Ah oui, bonjour. Well, I have some questions for you all. Whoa. Uh, Are you saying what I think you're saying? Yeah. The main question is, did you think I wasn't going to read the new Rebecca Mackay book? How dare you? No. I thought you would respect the content of our podcast and wait for it to be chosened nope. so the pages could enjoy it as well. Well, I'm telling but the pages I guess that now. doesn't mean anything. I had a suspicion that she wouldn't respect the content of our podcast and wait for it to be chosen. So I'm not surprised. Well, you are correct. Mystery solved. I did not wait. And are you going to wait or are you going to read it early? I don't know. Well, now I'm the only one who hasn't read it. Just saying you might like it. I will say, I think you guys overhyped it a bit to me. To be clear, I really, really liked it. I mean, it was literally written for me, but I feel like you guys thought it was going to be the second coming for me. And I don't know. John Green on Twitter said that it felt like it was written for him. So, Ooh. Oh, really? Yeah, you might have to throw hands with John Green. He went to boarding school <laughs> in Alabama, and I went to college in New Hampshire where it takes place. So I think it's more for me than mm. John Green. I'm not going to step in between because right now, based on this betrayal, I feel closer to John Green than to Bailey. <laughs> I mean, w- would you have a signed copy of his book? <laughs> we do. We're one of only 100,000 people. I liked it. I will I will wait until Andrew reads it to, to go into it more. But suffice it to say, I got you, Rebecca Mackay. Your friend and my. <laughs> I also, before I ask you guys about your shame, if you have any, I do have a correction. We've never had this before. We've always been perfect and not said anything wrong, or we've, I guess, more accurately, never felt like we needed to edit it. Did our editor finally get back to us? I mean, we have someone fact-checking every single thing we say on the show. They just, they've just never come up with an issue before. Uh, apparently we did. Pedro Evan, friend of the podcast, um, wrote in to oh. let me know that last time I mentioned the new book I got, Immortality, and I credited the author as Dana Stevens, but it's actually Dana Schwartz. They are both podcasters <laughs> um, and called cultural mavens. However, yes, it is by Dana Schwartz, host of the podcast Noble Blood, not Dana Stevens, critic for Slate. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Wow. Dang. So what do you think? We just, we stop recording now and we just end it or? or I mean, I think we had a good run, but I don't know if we can. Yeah. um, I I don't know if I can move forward with this group, but we'll see. (laughs) Let's at least try to finish this one out. The stain. (laughs) Yeah. Anywho, let's, let's, you know, deflect away from me. Did anybody have any shame? No. Oh, beautifully said (laughs) by Toby. I have a little shame. I would be disappointed if you didn't, Andrew, because since our last recording, it was Independent Bookstore Day and Free Comic Book Day. So do you not support independent bookstores, Toby? Is that shade directed at me? Yes. Uh, No, I don't. They can flail around. No, I do. I do support them. I think I was just not doing anything this weekend, but I didn't support my local bookstore. I'm sad and sorry. Good. I mean, I will not continue with the podcast, but it's fine. Oh, okay. I see. It's my fault now. Andrew, any shame? Yes, I have shame. Wait, you do have shame. There we go. Y'all decided to have a fight instead of listening to my very cool shame. Deflect. Bailey is just throwing hands. She wants to throw hands with John Green. She wants to throw hands with me. Just saying. Well, the book I bought... (laughs) I visited the Golden Notebook in Woodstock, New York, and you know I found myself a signed book. 
I was actually one of the, those people who they had a signed copy in the window and then they have like usually their window display inside they have a shelf that has what's on their window display. Mm, that is how stores work. The stuff that's in the window which you can't really access is on in a specific place in the store so you are like oh I want that you go to grab it. The ones on the inside were not signed but the one in the window was. Oh. So I made the poor man working there or I asked politely and the poor man working there politely deconstructed a little bit of the window display and got that copy for me. It's easy when you just have to say, uh, I'm Andrew Massey. And they're like, oh, the signed copy. Yes, 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 of course. <laughs> I support this. Uh, what book was it? Uh, the book is called The Wager, <gasps> A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder uh, by David Graham, who you might know as the author of Killers of the Flower Moon and The Lost City of Z, among other things. Dad Ooh. book alert, dad book alert. Yeah, it's big dad energy. I am really happy for you. BDE. I hear great things about this book, and I was trying to find it on Independent Bookstore Day, and it was sold out places. So not only did you find a copy, mm. you got a signed copy. It's almost as difficult as like surviving in, in Antarctica, like in a shipwreck. Almost as difficult, but if you factor in that I also got myself a signed first edition. Well, I mean, it just came out. Yeah, so. nothing. Mm. Okay. <laughs> right. The sticker says signed first edition. In 20 years, I'll think that's cool. Why? What energy am I bringing to this podcast that I can't say anything <laughs> yeah. right? No, I think I'm just fighting with everyone. I think it's because I don't want to bring up my shame. I know you're just deflecting and you're lashing out. Can you tell <laughs> us your shame? And then at the end, I'll tell you how many books ahead of schedule I am. <laughs> hurt people hurt people. So I'm sorry for hurting you. I do have some shame. Uh, like I said, last time I went to Nashville, it was very exciting. I finally got to go to Parnassus Books, which I'd never been to before. The children's section there is mm. incredible. At Parnassus Books, I got a few new books. I got Burnham Wood by Eleanor Caton, Caton? Mm. Catton, which we've talked about before. I also got Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club by J. Ryan Stradell. I guess, I don't know if I've talked about him before, but... What is that one? Well, Kitchens of the Great Midwest was his first book, which I absolutely love. One of my favorites. And then he had another one a few years later called The Lager Queen of Minnesota. And this is his latest book that just came out. Um, I think it's similarly like a bunch of character-driven stories set in the Midwest at a diner, I believe. I'm into that. I really liked Kitchens of the Great Midwest, so I'm intrigued. It's so good. It was one of my favorites. And I lent it to someone and they didn't return it. And I can't say that they aren't dead to me. Okay, so I got those at Parnassus Books. You're welcome. Then we went to a tiny bookstore. I think it's just called The Bookshop. It's literally the size of an apartment. Very cute. I got a puzzle there, and then I got the book In the Lives of Puppets by T.J. Clune, who's author of The House on the Cerulean Sea, which is excellent. Um, And then, last but not least... My friend Sarah, who lives in Nashville, took me and our group of friends to what I would describe as Nirvana, um, the best place on earth, which is McKay's Used Books and CDs, which is a giant store in Nashville. I was picturing, you know, just a regular used bookstore, which are great. You know, you get some good deals. McKay's is literally the size of a soundstage. It's huge and tons of books. You have to be careful because there are a lot of new ones and some of those will be expensive, aka $10. But then, you know, oh. you can also get ones like kids books I got for 60 cents each. Come on. Dang. So I, I went a little crazy. I got My Sweet Audrina by V.C. Andrews. Excited to cover that one on the podcast. Um, oh. The Power, which the show is out now and people are saying is really good. So I'm finally going to read that. I've read that one. It's really good. Oh, good. I'm excited. And then the nonfiction book, Columbine. So, but I, the most I spent on a book was $5. So. Ooh. 
Shout out to Dang. McKay's. So that's my shame. Well, but did you also buy anything on Free Comic Book Day? I didn't buy anything on Free Comic Book Day. I know that you did. Um, or did I? <laughs> no, I didn't. It was such a blur. <laughs> but our daughter did. At, we went to this fun comic book store. Uh, it's called Revenge Of. Revenge Of. And it's in Eagle Rock, hmm. California. And when we went there, Maggie immediately went to the stuffed animals and picked up this little stuffed animal Chucky doll, you know, oh. from the Child's Play movies. And not just like the Chucky doll, like the one with like the scars on his face. And she declared this my baby. And we had to buy it. And <laughs> <laughs> he became her baby, and she's since been carrying around this doll wherever we go, yes. um, including the Los Angeles Public Library. I've been getting a lot of looks. Um, she's been doing nice. tea parties with her baby. She's been sleeping with her baby. And she has informed us that the baby's name is Barbara. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Maggie. It's, it's just amazing. It, like, I don't understand how she's not afraid of it. She's just like, no, this is my baby. <laughs> And Bailey, speaking of book stuff for Comic Book Day, you also got some Sweet Valley High free comics, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they had a lot of free comics on Free Comic Book Day, obviously. And I was just interested that they had like a Babysitter's Club and a Sweet Valley High. It's like stuff from our youth is Hmm. now becoming graphic novels for the children. Is there a boxcar children graphic novel? (sighs) Not yet, but I mean, that's an untapped market. And Maggie's now at a part where she asks questions, and we tried to explain to her what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are, and it's very hard. Oh, yeah. It's in the name, Maggie. It's right there in the middle in the name. <laughs> she just kept saying, why? Why Ninja Turtle? Why, friend? <laughs> you know what? We, we never find out, Maggie. <laughs> the rats it's dead. I don't... Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're friends with April. Why? I don't know. So that's, that's the update on the home front. Nice. That's a good update. Solid update. Just wanted to throw in there that I'm 25 books ahead of schedule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my... Come on. I've read 39 books so far this year. Uh, knocked out Hamnet, The Last White Man, The Anthropocene Reviewed, The Silent Patient, I'll Show Myself Out, Sharp Objects, and Pride and Prejudice since the last episode. Whoa. Andrew, Whoa. Are, is everything okay? No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any favorites Dang. of the ones you read? I think I liked Anthropocene Reviewed a lot better than both of y'all. I think Ooh. that was probably my favorite of what I read there. The Silent Patient <laughs> by Alex Michaelides was also quite good. They were all quite good. We don't have time to go into all of them but throw a dart at a dartboard with those titles on it. You you won't be disappointed. Well, Andrew, I'm in awe of you and also afraid for you. Yeah, me too. Only three books to go before I hit my goal for the year. Then what do I do? You're courting disaster, my friend. To what end? To what end? (laughs) Speaking of courting disaster, um, Toby, did you read a book this week? Yes, I did. Yeah, I read uh, Kindred by Octavia Butler. Kin, kin, kin. All right, here's your log line. Octavia Butler's Kindred tells the story of Dana Franklin, a black woman living in Los Angeles in 1976, who is pulled backward through time to a slave plantation in early 19th century Maryland anytime her ancestor, Rufus Whalen, the white son of the plantation owner, is in mortal danger. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, so that's like, that's the one line concept of this book. Basically, to, to really go over it, Dana is living her life. She is married to a white man. They are happy. They are just kind of existing in late 70s Los Angeles. And one day, literally out of nowhere, she kind of gets dizzy, feels sick, and disappears from her time and appears and finds the young Rufus uh, in mortal danger. He's drowning. And she just kind of doesn't know what's going on, but she sees a child in trouble. So she 
does what anybody would do. She goes and rescues the kid. And kind of throughout her first visit back there, um, she discovers that she is on a plantation in Maryland in the early 1800s. It's a pretty extremely bad situation for her. Um, and she happens to discover that her ancestor, Alice, um, is an enslaved person on this plantation and that she knows because of family records that Rufus is basically kind of ends up getting together with Alice in one way or another. And they are both her ancestors or her kindred. Ooh. I see what you See, see, see. Yes. Um, and then the book kind of spools out from there. The kind of mechanism that Butler uses is that any time that Rufus is in mortal danger, Dana gets pulled back. Any time that Dana is in mortal danger in the past, she gets pushed back to her time. So it's a it's a really like clean and exciting way to do things where it's like anytime she goes back, the stakes are super high. And anytime she returns to her own time, obviously the stakes have to be super high for her. So it like lends itself to this kind of very exciting storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to jump into Orcs and Elves because um, sometimes I find that's the best way to discuss a book. Yeah. Helm's deep it, my man. You just do you, Toby. Okay. Thanks. So... Orcs. Here we go. We'll do orcs first. Orcs. It looks like meat is not back on the menu because I have no orcs. (gasps) (laughs) I was wondering why you were starting with orcs. (laughs) That's usually why that happens. Or if the book is so irredeemable. Yeah. Yeah, Which do you think, Pedro's? Yeah. Sorry to spoil it for you a little bit. This book is a freaking slam dunk. Like there's no, there's not one single orc. So it's just going to be me raving uh, about how good it is. On to the elves. I think this book is like a it's like a perfectly engineered object just as much as it is a work of art. It's it's amazing. The more you look at it, the more efficient and well done it reveals itself to be. Um, She gets so much out of what she puts on the page. Every single character, every single relationship between each character is not just doing one thing and playing with one idea. They're all playing with like two or three ideas simultaneously. For example, Dana in 1976, she's married to a white man, Kevin. And back on the Maryland plantation, her ancestor Rufus is obsessed with one of his father's enslaved people, uh, Butler's ancestor Alice. So you have two relationships, one white man, one black woman. You can start to see just all the ways she could play with that. You know, they have conversations with each other. They have conversations with their opposite. They relate to one another and... It just gets so complicated, especially because these relationships that can seem like this is good and this is bad. For the most part, those things are true, but then they get more and more complicated the kind of deeper into the details you get. And it's truly something that I can't imagine any other writer doing as well as Butler does. She just kind of gets more and more out of it the more you read. I was just going to say that I haven't finished this one. I did start reading the audiobook and I totally agree so far. Mm. Like you are nailing it. She and she was nailing it. Like it's such an amazing concept and the writing is so strong. So I'm really glad that you liked it and I'm going to keep reading. Excellent. Well, since you bring up the concept, I think it's one of those ones where it sounds simple, um, but it also sounds like it could be a bit gimmicky. There's something about time travel that is always difficult to do. And it sounds kind of, I don't know, to me, like if you gave me that one line pitch, I'd be like, okay, interesting, but is it going to be that good? But here's what Butler does. She does, and this is something I learned from Dylan. Um, She she adheres to the rule of you get one thing, 
right? You get one big thing. And Butler's big thing is this concept that uh, Dana is pulled back and forth through time. What she doesn't do is add additional rules or add complications or reveal later in the book like, oh, you thought the rule worked this way, but really it works another way. No, that's it. That's how it works. And because she sticks to it so firmly, that's what turns this book, you know, it almost kind of disappears from the genre fiction label. I think, you know, if you were going to be really specific, you'd be like, oh, this is science fiction, maybe fantasy. I don't know, like genre fiction. But it's that level of genre fiction where the the genre-ness of it disappears into the strength of the writing and the strength of the relationships. So, yeah, it's it's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like I'm not leaving you guys much to say because all I'm like, this is great. And you're like, I bet it is. Well, no, it sounds really cool. Then which one do you prefer, this or Time Traveler's Wife? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. We'll wait till the end of the review, see if you can guess. Um, I'll also say that Dana uh, herself is a fantastic main character. Um, she's pragmatic. She's strong. She's not a superhero, um, but she deals with things in a really straightforward way. I think Butler is really clever to give her just the right amount of kind of confusion in this scenario without bogging us down with Dana constantly being like, how could this happen? What's going on? You know, mm -hmm. Dana does what she has to do to survive in this time and she doesn't worry about how it's happening, which is great because I feel like sometimes in big genre books, the characters are really obsessed with like, why is this happening? And that's not the story that Butler wants to tell. And she doesn't, you know, mess with it too much. And neither does Dana. And you really appreciate her for that. The last big, huge uh, elf, this gigantic towering elf who's looking down at you on the ground. The Galadriel of the book. <laughs> yes, the Galadriel is uh, is that the prose itself is really clean and straightforward, almost to like a deceptive point. Um, I've read a couple Octavia Butler books by now, and her prose is always restrained and economical. But I feel like this is yet another step further. I think it works really well because the book is almost ridiculously readable. You're like lulled into a false sense of security. I think just as Dana can sometimes be lulled into complacency or kind of settling into the past when she's there. And then all of a sudden, these horrific, like truly scarring things start happening. And because, you know, your reading speed is quite high because this is just kind of straightforward prose, it almost feels like you're being forced through this story at like a speed that is not comfortable. Like these awful things are just getting worse and worse and you're just pressed into them. And because the, the descriptors are so straightforward, it just has this brutality that is, I don't know, it, it's, it's truly amazing. So... Yet again, another great choice by Butler. That sounds awesome, Toby. Makes me want to add it to my pile. Andrew, you're going to be done with <laughs> it in the next five minutes. We're going to look away and you're going to be true, like, yeah. I did another book. You'll be like, oh, while you guys play this game, I'm going to read Kindred. <laughs> Yeah, I could go on and on. There are many, many things that I loved about this book, but I just have to say, read it, people. Like it's it's famous for a reason. It is incredible. It is super readable. I think sometimes you hear about these kind of stories and you're like, oh, is it going to be? And it, I'll tell you, it is tough. Um, there are some scenes you're not going to have an easy time getting through. But as far as like it being a compelling and exciting story all the way through, it is up to the very last page, exciting and readable and interesting. So um, one star, I wish I could. No, five stars. Uh, five stars. I did, you know, just by the slimmest margin, prefer it to the time traveler's wife. <laughs> Though, real talk, I know you also really liked Wild Seed. Did, how would you compare mm -hmm. those two? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I think I actually liked 
Wild Seed a little bit better, Ooh. but that's because it felt a little teensy bit more like, I think her, she put a little bit more spin on that one. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really comes down to the prose. Like this feels like maybe she wrote it with the idea, like she wants like anybody to be able to pick this up anywhere, right? And then Wild Seed, the concept is even more strange. There's a little bit more going on under the hood. Not that it's like better that way, but it's like there's a little bit more complication added to things. So I think I liked Wild Wild Seed a little bit more, but only because I'm a genre freak and I liked that kind of twist a little bit more. But I mean, that's like saying like, I love, love, love this one. And then Wild Seed's like one of my favorite books of all time. So good question. Yeah. I mean, hard to go wrong with either, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Octavia Butler and Wild Seed and all of her wonderful books, we've already covered her twice. So I know we've had a lot of facts before, but Andrew, I'm wondering, what are you bringing to the table this week for facts? I do have facts of a sort. As Bailey has referenced, we've already done Octavia Butler twice on this podcast. We've also already done Jane Austen twice on this podcast. So I guess we're we're figuring out what we like in our books more and more as we continue to do these podcasts. (laughs) So in lieu of doing the same facts or even like trying to find new things and blow out her biography a little bit, I would point you back to the two previous episodes we did on on Octavia Butler, which we covered Wild Seed and Mind of My Mind. They were from mid 2020. Yeah, it's during a streak of episodes where like the episodes got really, really good for like about three months. Yeah, they were really strong and they were just streamlined and like tight because they didn't have Bailey and Dylan on them. I was going to say, it felt like you probably were missing like a key element though. No, no, no I really feel no. like that's when the, the podcast peaked, you know. <laughs> it's literally when Toby coined the term Pejos, so I don't know. It is true. I was distracted caring for a newborn. How dare. Eh. <laughs> we'll come back to it. Anywho, so this time, instead of giving you a breakdown of her biography because we've already done that. I will remind you of the very, very basics of her life and then talk a little bit about something cool that happened just a couple months ago. So Octavia E. Butler was born on June 22nd, 1947 in Pasadena, California, near Bailey and Dillon. Heard of it. And she passed away on February 24th, 2006, outside of Seattle. Throughout her career, she won several Hugo and Nebula awards and is probably most known for Wild Seed, Parable of the Sower, and Kindred. She also is been experiencing a bit of posthumous renaissance right now. Um, she's A lot of adaptations mm-hmm. of her work have come out, including an adaptation of Kindred that just premiered in December on FX. Uh, so, fair few adaptations coming out. Um, I know that Parable of the Sower, has that already come out? That's also in the works right now. Anywho, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about something that happened. Octavia's Bookshelf opened in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. It's a bookstore, a small independent bookstore, operated by a woman named Nikki High, and it has become Pasadena's first and only Black-owned bookstore and is dedicated to Butler. Cool. We were going to go to the opening, but it was, like, crazy crowded. Like, there was, like, a line that went down, like, a few blocks, yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about it in a second. About 200 people came for a place that only can fit about 12 in at a time, and it just sort of kept, more and more folks kept showing up. There was an article in The Guardian written by Jire Dang, who uh, wrote about the opening and sort of what this bookstore means to both the founder and sort of how they hope it honors uh, Butler's legacy. So I'm going to quote from that article. Quote, Hi, 
um, who's the founder of the bookstore, uh, first encountered Butler's work as a young person in high school while reading Kindred, which was originally published in 1979. Now that she's 48, High's love of Butler's work has manifested into a physical store that represents the writer's legacy. Inside Octavia's bookshelf is a carefully curated set of books and non-book items that High has sourced from mainly independent BIPOC-owned businesses. She says, not on Amazon. Beyond books, Octavia's bookshelf is everything from quirky book nerd socks to prayer candles dedicated to iconic black women literary figures such as Toni Morrison and Andre Lord. Cool. Uh, Hi says, I had been thinking about this bookstore for about 10 years, but not in a way where I was ready to leave my job and do it. But what pushed Hi to lean into her dream was the May 2022 death of her grandmother, who had always championed her granddaughter's pursuits. Hi took the leap a few months later in October of that year and began the process of starting her own business. Hai had been relying on her own savings and was looking to take a loan out until everything changed overnight. On New Year's Eve 2022, she wrote a tweet about her efforts to start Octavia's bookshelf and it instantly went viral online. With over 10,000 retweets and 5.1 million views, it garnered a flood of support and donations toward her new venture that raised more than 22,000 on GoFundMe. That's awesome. That's amazing. Making me wish I still lived in LA. Yeah, well, visit your friends, Toby. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Well, uh, this is a little bit more from that article talking about the opening, as Dylan was referencing. On the opening day of Octavia's bookshelf, a line stretched nearly a block long as Butler's fans and eager patrons waited to enter the snug store a dozen at a time. With a queue rivaling that of any popular amusement park, many parents were attempting to corral their children. Tanika Russell and Eve Richards carpooled together from Long Beach to support the store's opening. Russell had brought her two young children with her. Richard, who was pregnant, sat in a chair offered by the staff. Quote, I wanted to expose them to books where they see themselves. When it comes to school and the books they see at school, they probably won't, said Russell of her children. But I think it's important to see the community supporting black women and black bookstore owners. That's amazing. And I'm just picturing being a parent and trying to corral a child yeah. that's like, I want to get in there. and like, we have to wait. <laughs> I don't regret my decision. Maggie would not have lasted over long in that. More power to that parent. Good job. Yeah. And so if you're in the area and you haven't already, maybe check out Octavia's Bookshelf in Pasadena. One other cool tidbit I learned in re-researching Butler a little bit is her new sort of uh, interest in her work has jumped to such a degree that in 2020, Parable of the Sower actually landed on the New York Times bestseller list despite coming out in, I think, 1980. So wow. people are putting attention Dang. on her work. And it seems like from Toby for a very, very good reason. That's amazing. I would say Parable of the Sower is definitely on my like bigger non-podcast list, but I'm kind of scared because all of her books have like pretty intense themes and like intense moments of them. But Parable of the Sower is supposed to be like on another level I'm, I'm like a little scared about it being like so brutal but we'll is that see. the only one you haven't read toby or no no there's plenty oh, okay i recently read uh the dawn the beginning of the xenogenesis series and it's amazing but i have yet to read the rest of that series so i got plenty left well we are octavia butler stands here and those are great facts andrew we're going to visit the bookshop and we're going to give five stars to kindred by octavia butler pew 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 pew, pew. um Bailey, I just have one question for you. Yes. What's the opposite of shame? <gasps> Pride. <gasps> okay, that's it. Moving on. <laughs> I'm going to need just a little bit of like Regency era uh, music. Um, uh, Dylan, will you sing a song, please? Thank you very much. Um, yes, I did read a book this week. Thank you for asking. Um, I read Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Continue your song. I know Andrew read this too because Andrew and I were sending texts to each other to figure out which page we were on. You guys have a private text thread? <laughs> <laughs> Who finished first, Bailey? 
You finished first, Andrew. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but only by a few hours. But yes, um, finally, I have read this book. This is Andrew and I were texting about it in our secret text chain about how Aww. it is an odd book to review and to give stars for and oh. or to give orcs and elves for because as I will explain and I will elucidate right now. Okay. So the thing about Pride and Prejudice is that everyone loves it. Most everyone has read it. Andrew and I had not actually read the book. However, both of us knew the story in and out. I have seen so many adaptations of it. Um, I have read takes on it, um, but I hadn't actually read. Actually, I had started the book, but I hadn't finished it. The reason why I got distracted and I think it's hard to review is because how can you evaluate a book that you already know the story for? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I... I love the story. I love the characters. I love. Should I say what the story is about? Do people not know? You yeah. Okay. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, the book follows a young woman, Elizabeth Bennett, and her family. She has four sisters, um, and her family. They're in kind of. An unfortunate position where they don't have, they're not very high class, they don't have a lot of money, and there's five girls, so they need to be married off to men. And Elizabeth, who is the second born, just doesn't really have any interest in that. You know, she supports her sister Jane, who's beautiful and, you know, the talk of the town, and people admire Jane. However, Elizabeth is more focused on herself. She enjoys her life. She enjoys going for a long walk. She enjoys reading. She enjoys being witty. Um, she's not focused on that until. Two handsome gentlemen come to town. One of them, Mr. Bingley, Mr. Charles Bingley, who is lovable, loving, affable, and perhaps a bit dim. Um, and he <laughs> immediately zeroes in on Jane and Jane's into him. But, you know, nobody's saying what's going on in their heads. And Bingley brings his friend Fitzwilliam Darcy, Mr. Darcy, um, who, as you can ascertain from the title, is very proud. He is a very awkward, proud man who has 10,000 pounds a year. Very rich very handsome, but kind of a jerk. Lizzie is a little bit interested in him, but then she overhears him say that she is tolerable in terms of how she looks, <laughs> and she's then prejudiced against him. Get it? Uh, ooh. Uh. The love story goes on from there. I'm sure I don't need to get into it, but it's it's essentially, it's kind of like a Shakespearean comedy where we're going to end on a happy ending. We're going to end with everybody ending up with the people they're supposed to end up with, but let's see how we get there. And how we get there is these delightful characters and this beautiful, witty writing that Jane Austen obviously is known for. Um, what I was referencing before is that there are these iconic moments in the book that you know from seeing Bridget Jones' Diary, from seeing Pride and Prejudice, from Pride and Prejudice 2005, from 1997's BBC Pride and Prejudice. You know all of these beats of the story. So when you get to them, it's kind of like cheering for somebody. Or it's like, oh yeah, great. We're at that part. We're at the part where he says, I ardently admire and love you. Oh my gosh, we're at the part. And that's mm. really exciting. And yet there's little tension because you know exactly what's going to happen. I guess I will say, first of all, I really love Jane Austen's writing, obviously. I really love the characters, obviously. What I noticed in reading this book, aside from the story that I already knew, were these things. These are not elves or orcs. These are just things I noticed upon reading it versus upon seeing the, the movie things that I didn't know before. Bingley has two sisters. I didn't <laughs> know that he has a married sister who has kind of a dolt of a husband. Um, that's in the book. He also actually, he has um, five siblings total, but we don't meet the other ones. But the other ones are not, do not speak. They're not important. <laughs> not important. I also didn't realize that poor Mary Bennett was not just bookish, but also kind of um, insufferable, which I enjoyed. I didn't realize 
that the perspective of the book is omniscient. So you know from the beginning that Darcy loves Elizabeth. So it's not about the tension of will they or won't they. It's kind of like when they... (laughs) How will they get together? Which I didn't realize. Um, I didn't realize how funny some of the characters were, like Mr. Collins, Mr. Bennett, Lydia. Like I kind of I understood who these characters were, but seeing seeing sort of how ridiculous they were in the prose made it even more fun. And I didn't realize that in many ways, like you say that Elizabeth Bennet is the heroine of the story, and I guess she is, but it starts and ends with Mrs. Bennet. So we all want to be Elizabeth Bennet, but maybe we're all really Mrs. Bennet. Wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) What a take. Can I say something I didn't realize until just now? Yes. I didn't realize Bridget Jones is an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Are you serious? I'm very serious. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies based on Pride and Prejudice. Oh my gosh, Dylan. <laughs> Obviously, this is the enemies to lovers trope. It made me wonder, like, how long has this trope been around? I know it was around, was it around in Shakespeare? Like, what what made this happen? Was this the most famous of the books? Did it start it? And then I guess I just want to highlight also just um, a piece of Austin's writing, which I love. And just this is an example of a joke that she did that I was like, <laughs> I got you, Jane. What's the deal with Regency romance? <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is page three. This is the opening. And like I said, it starts with Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, who Elizabeth and Jane's parents. Basically, Mrs. Bennett is portrayed to be this sort of ridiculous, silly woman who is like, oh, you know, oh, I'm so stressed. And her husband is kind of just trying to rein her in. So um, this is an exchange between them. Mr. Bennet, how can you abuse your own children in such a way? You take delight in vexing me. You have no compassion on my poor nerves. You didn't say that Darcy was in this scene. (laughs) You mistake me, my dear. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. I have heard you mention them with consideration about these 20 years at least. Hmm. It just, it's hilarious. Ha ha, ha ha. That is great. I, I love Pride and Prejudice. Uh, and this is this is another bit from um, Miss Bennett's perspective. Wickham, Lydia were all forgotten. Jane was beyond competition her favorite child. At that moment, she cared for no other. Her youngest sisters soon began to make interest with her for objects of happiness, which she might in future be able to dispense. The idea that like, uh, this person's my favorite until this other one gets married and then they're my favorite. It's just really <laughs> delightful. I guess I didn't realize sort of how farcical it was until I read it. And I mean, obviously it was overhyped, but I enjoyed it. I, In terms of how to rate it, I am going to popcorn to Andrew and see what he has to say about the book. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, I really enjoyed reading it. Obviously, I was super familiar with it. I, um, Jillian is a mild Austin obsessive to the point where we have visited the filming locations of a few of the adaptations. And it was fun to actually like see what the original OG version uh, was. Andrew, before you get into your review, can you just share what you found um, at the Pemberley set? Yes. So uh, at Chatsworth House, which is where Pemberley is set in the 2005 Keira Knightley version of it, there is a statue which is featured in the movie, which is a bust of Mr. Darcy, a bust of Matthew McFadden of succession fame. And it looks obviously very like him. And there's a little sign in front of it that says, please do not kiss, which means... (laughs) Someone's kissed it, and more importantly, it means enough people kissed it that it was a problem, (laughs) and they had to make a sign about it. Uh, You might have shared that story before, but you have to share it every time. Did you guys know that all those, like, famous Roman statues, like, the reason they have, like, missing limbs and stuff is because they were kissed too much? People just got canoodly with them. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. But yeah, I think overall, I don't want to step on your star rating if this is where this is leading to, but I 
overall, I just I found it really fun to see the original version to, you know, dig deeper on things that I've only ever seen in film versions or in like loose adaptations, you know, like Fire Island or something like that. And I think I it sounds like maybe I had a better experience than you, Bailey, but I'm curious. I don't want to say my rating until until after I hear from you. Okay, well, popcorn back to me. Wait, Fire Island is also Pride and Prejudice? It's just hard to review because I knew the story, I knew I loved the story, but there's very little tension and the writing, while wonderful, does... It takes a minute to get engrossed in because obviously this was written a long time ago and we don't speak this way. So you have to kind of sometimes translate it in your head. And then once you get it, you can think, ha ha, I understand. So all this to say, I really wanted this to be a five-star book. And if I had not seen any adaptation of it, I think it would have been five-star. But I'm having a hard time saying it's five-star. And I'm also feeling guilty that it's not a five-star. But I think I have to go with four um, just because... Like, I could put it down because I was like, okay, sure. I know what happens after he writes the letter. And I'm feeling really guilty about that. And I'm really hoping that nobody leaves the podcast. Um, Andrew, popcorn to you. Uh, yeah, I'm going to leave the podcast also. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving the podcast. I see what you're saying. I think the reason you've seen those adaptations and enjoyed those adaptations is because this text inspired those adaptations. And beyond that, I think if you hadn't seen them, it would have liked it better. So for me, that's enough justification to call it five stars. Okay, I change it to five stars. No, no, you said your thing and you've been swayed, but that's... (laughs) Too late. No, that's not how this works, Bailey. (laughs) You're locked in, yeah. It's like chess. You you took your hand off the review and now you can't move it. (laughs) No, yeah, I think it because I had the same quibbles, but like I don't know that I consider that fair to it. And I, this is not me trying totally. to slam you, Bailey. So I'm I'm gonna go with five stars. And I think it's a, even a rereadable book because I know the I know the plot, and I still enjoyed reading it. In particular, shout out to Mrs. Bennett for being. I mean, she's super extra in all the adaptations, in particular the 2005 one. But uh, in the book, they have, they have toned her down in the adaptations. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's what I meant. Like they were even more ridiculous in the. The book. And as I was reading it, I kept thinking, oh, it must be fun to be the actor cast in these roles to get to play this part. Yeah. Andrew, you're right. It's not fair of me. And that's why I feel really guilty saying four, but I think it's four and please don't hate me. Dylan and Toby, do you have any memories of this book? Yeah, five stars. Yeah, I remember really liking it. it and like not because we both read it in English and I remember thinking, like, oh, Pride and Prejudice. I've already seen yeah. Bridget Jones's Diary. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, no, no. I remember like, yeah, but like the dialogue of the characters like, wow, this is actually really funny. Yeah, I same exact experience in high school. Um, and then I reread it, I think like shortly after college. And I think it's interesting because I never really watched many of the adaptations. I probably caught one one of them over the years. And to me, the story was always, like you said, Bailey, it's not if they're going to get together, it's when. And so I think if you experience the book first that way, then the drama is really turned down. But then I liked that because it's more about the prose and the jokes. Like I would classify it less as a romance and more of like a farce comedy almost. Like the point is to me, like the the romance is almost secondary because it's just really, really funny and it's poking fun at all these different aspects of English society. And I think it's not really sold that way. And the adaptations, I think they're movies. They want to make it a little bit more exciting. So they frame it more around the romance. But what do I know? Yeah, for sure. I, the recent adaptation, Love and Friendship, which is based on, I think, a short story of hers, leans more into the like, we're just making fun of this thing. And I think mm-hmm. that's weirdly like more in spirit of what the actual text is like. Yeah, I agree. Also, the latest Emma was good, too. Oh, yeah. And that 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 leaned into that as well. 
So that is Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, five stars. Um, I always said five stars, and it will always be mm-hmm. five stars. And now, Andrew, I'm just throwing it to you and deflecting and five stars. Do you have any facts? <laughs> well, um, as I hinted at earlier, we have covered Jane Austen twice already on this podcast in our Northanger Abbey and our Persuasion episodes. So it would be sort of redundant to cover her again, because those are also relatively recent episodes. So instead of that, I'll just give you a brief overview of her life, maybe throw a mystery into the mix, and then go straight into our game, which is definitely Austin-centric. Sorry, Octavia, I focused on Jane Austen for the game tonight, and I think it'll be slightly a longer game, so hopefully leave it out. I fully support this, and just so Pages know, there's still Sense and Sensibility and Mansfield Park on the list, so Miss Jane will <laughs> be back. <laughs> and Emma is on my list. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. No. <laughs> so, like, it, that's why I feel okay lightly touching on the facts for Jane Austen. Jane Austen was born December 16th, 1775, and passed away on the 18th of July, 1817. She is primarily known for six major novels, uh, Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Mansfield Park, Northanger Abbey, Persuasion, and Emma, four of which were published during her lifetime, and then uh, Persuasion and Northanger Abbey were published later. She also has the unfinished novel Sanditon, which has been recently a hit with all the PBS watchers out there, (laughs) and the epistolary novel Lady Susan, which you might also have heard of. As you can hear from her lifespan, she only lived to be 41, so she had a short life, packed a lot into it. And the mystery I'm going to throw into the mix is Dylan actually sent us an article which maybe broke a mystery that Jane Austen died of arsenic poisoning and not tuberculosis like we previously thought. Dylan, did you go back in time and poison Jane Austen? (gasps) Dylan. Dylan. um, It seems like people are dubious about it either being anything nefarious, even if that is the case, because it's based on like descriptions of her and being like, that sounds like arsenic poisoning versus like any scientific (laughs) measure. Yeah, it just seems like it's this one lady that's doing it. But you know what? Well, is arsenic something that like could be in everyday life at that point? Yeah, it was definitely. Definitely more prominent there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's enough of a a reintroduction to Jane Austen. Again, we have three more titles. We have her entire backlog is on our shelf, except for, yeah, her entire discography is on the shelf, except for her unfinished work. And we will not rest until her murder is solved. (laughs) (laughs) Those are solid facts, Andrew. And again, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, five stars. Uh, Do you have a game? No. I do. In this game, I'm actually going to. It's not a competition, except, I mean, in that life is a competition. We're playing a little game of life. I heard that life is a highway. Yeah, and I want to ride it all night long. (laughs) However, beyond being able to ride life all night long on a highway, I want to play this game, which is sort of like MASH. It's sort of like the board and card game uh, Marrying Mr. Darcy, but it's my own little version of it. Basically, I'm going to tell your future by you performing for me like the dancing little nerds you are. I can play the pianoforte. (laughs) Good. (laughs) That might come into play. So here's what we're going to do. I am going to, through a series of tasks, determine your partner, where you will live, and how you will die. (gasps) (laughs) Whoa. I feel like that last one was never a part of MASH. (laughs) Except for like the the goth kids played it that way. Well... (laughs) 
We'll see. And the way we're going to do that is, in your best imitation of a Jane Austen character, I want to have you deliver an impassioned speech to me. You're going to have three opportunities to do it. I will give you the subject of what you're speaking about. And then I will rate you. That, that rating will be either a one, a two, or a three. And that is your modifier for a, a six-sided die that I'm going to roll. Ooh. I will read the scale of what your options are for each round. Um, but you can get as high as nine in this version. And let me tell you, if you get nine... If you get an eight or a nine, you're gonna really like your partner the way you die and and your in your house. <laughs> All right. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. I'm so the first speech I want, and Dylan, you can play too. Is Yay. I want to know how you would deny an unsuitable proposal. This is to determine your partner, and let me give you the options for your partner. If you get an eight or a nine, you're marrying Mr. Darcy. <gasps> if you get a six or a seven, you're marrying Mr. Bingley. He's okay. 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 If you get a four or five, you're marrying Mr. Collins. Sorry. Ooh. Stable income, though. If you get a one through three, you're marrying the unemployed bard, penniless Paul Porridge. <laughs> what about Mr. Wickham? Mr. Wickham, he's had his time. I thought you were going to say one through three was Mr. Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, penniless Paul Porridge. He's, he's your options for one through three. Anyone feeling ready to deny an unsuitable proposal for me? Well, here's the thing. I can fix Mr. Wickham, so. <laughs> Dylan, you go first. Oh, well, I do appreciate your uh, proposal of marriage. Unfortunately, I, I have to go fight in a war against cholera, which <laughs> is overseas in the colonies because of my estate. That's a pretty rock solid excuse. Sorry. <laughs> All right. That's a solid two, Dylan. Uh, you're going to get a plus two to your roll. Oh, I guess that's pretty good. Yeah. It was it was pretty good. I don't know that I need you guys yeah. to do accents. And that you said to the person you were denying that it was a solid excuse and then walked away is perhaps <laughs> a little uh, not in your favor. All right. So plus two for you. We'll do all the rolls at the end. So Bailey or Toby, who wants to go next? I will go. Dear sir, I have heard your proposal, as you have said it before me, and I have heard how much you admire and love me. However, you are right out. How impertinent may you be to bring this to me when you make but 100 pounds a year? How dare you? How dare you? Shame on you and shame on your family. And when I say no, I mean no. Don't you dare come asking again. The end. <laughs> All right. I'm going to also give that a plus two because you kind of just dunked on them for not having money, which I feel like is rude. And I also did say I didn't need accents, but that's fine. Again, we're going to continue with the accents. And also my character yeah. was mean. We can be mean characters. Also, Toby, Louise is not allowed to listen to this podcast episode. I get half. Uh, well, you get what I gave you, which is plus two, which is still not the worst. <laughs> and it's nice. just not also not the best. How about you, Toby? Look out behind you, governor. Oh, it's God. tuberculosis. And then I just run. <laughs> What, what did you actually say? Look out behind you, governor. governor it's it's tuberculosis. tuberculosis. No, it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. But I am just going to also give you a plus two because... Okay. What? He got the same as me? Yeah, he did. Because uh, it was what? it made me laugh. And also, I'd be as scared of tuberculosis, though I'm not clear exactly what you're uh, turning down. So they just needed more of the story. All right. So everybody gets a plus okay. two. Okay. I'll, I'll, I can take that note. I can take that note. But plus two is fun because it actually, it everything is on the table with a plus two. Because if you get a six, you get enough for the top option. And if you get a one, you still could be with penniless Paul Porridge. Here is <laughs> the roll. Bailey. Yes. You got a four plus two. Congratulations. You're marrying Mr. Bingley. Solid. Okay. Dylan, your turn. Ooh. 
Uh-oh, you got a five plus two. That means you're also marrying Mr. Bingley. Dylan, I'll give you a dollar if you know his first name. John. Nope. All right. Toby, your turn. Let's see if you can make this not a weird group marriage. Nope, you cannot. You've also rolled a four. Yes. So everybody's marrying Bingley, which is a solid option. That's a good option. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll take it. He's not going to cheat on you. He's a little dumb, but he's going to be there for you. True, true. All right, next category. You're going to confess your undying love in this category. And this is how we're going to determine your lodging. Would you like to hear the options for lodging while you think about how you're going to confess your undying love? Of course. Eight through nine, Pemberley, Obvs. Six through seven, Netherfield, Bingley's house, obviously. Four through five, a charming farmhouse with a ghost problem. Still a farmhouse. (laughs) And then one through three, Sweaty Richard's unheated lodging house. (laughs) Nice. So those are your options. And now, who'd like to go first? Dear sir, ever since I saw you across the way at the ball, I have been taken by your handsomeness and your kindness. Your wit is of no compare, and I have to admit how much I admire and love you. Ardently, ardently, I say. Please, please propose to me the end. Mm, Okay, direct at the end there. (laughs) You know what, Bailey? I'm going to give you a plus three to that. Thank you. That was pretty good, yeah. It was pretty good. It ticked all the boxes, and you hit some of the quotes from the book. So what what else can I ask for? Thanks, Andrew. Who'd like to go next? I can go. Okay. Oh, Governor Bings, you're such a handsome fellow. Why don't you come live with me in Sweaty Richard's Emporium for the rest of me days? The end. Your wife is going to have some things to say about this episode. <laughs> well, she's heard that voice. Don't worry. I was close to also giving you a three, but I need, because you apparently want to live in Sweaty Richard's lodging house, I'm going to only give you a plus two so that that's a possibility for you. Isn't that a sign? Isn't that a sign of true love? You would live with them even in Sweaty Richard's. That's all I'm saying. All right, Dylan. Oh, sorry. Uh, my hair's getting caught in the rain. <laughs> but I... I just want you to know that I love you, that I've always loved you and cherished you. And this entire past year of our correspondence, I've written love letters to you every day. I just have not been able to muster up the courage to send them to you. And don't ask to see them. Assume they exist. But know that I love you and I always shall cherish you. Are you doing the notebook? No. (laughs) (laughs) Bailey, was he doing the notebook? Yes, he's doing the notebook. All right, only plus two for you, Dylan. What? You did a good job, but if you're doing the notebook, come on. The notebook didn't exist in Jane Austen times. What do you want? What do you want? (laughs) All right, you guys ready to roll? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, here we go. This is going to be Bailey first. You get a plus three to this, which means you're guaranteed to not be in Sweaty Richards. You've gotten a three for a six, which means appropriately you're living in Netherfield. Ah, with Bingley, Hmm. my husband. Ah, hey. Appropriate. All right. This is crazy. If one of you guys all got the exact same future. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Toby, with a plus two on this one, Mm -hmm. he really wants Sweaty Richards. Come on, Sweaty Richards. (laughs) You've rolled a five, which plus two means you're living in Netherfield (laughs) as well. What? Yes. These dice are not weighted, I don't think. (laughs) It's going to be so much easier to record the podcast when we're all married to the same man and live in the same house. (laughs) All right. And Dylan with his plus two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Rolled a four. So he is also living in Netherfield. This isn't a flaw in the game design. It's just we've only rolled fours and fives. Okay. (laughs) All right. Last one, please. Let's get something different. You're going to compliment the quality of the food. 
Mm-hmm. And this is how we're going to decide how you die. <laughs> the options for it are eight or nine, die in your sleep or immortality, your choice. Six through seven, a painless carriage tragedy. Four through five, <laughs> the terrors. And one through three, <laughs> rats, fleas, and barrels. I feel like the terror is even worse than rats, please. Well, don't worry. You guys are all going to get a painless carriage tragedy because apparently that's how this game's going. So who'd like to compliment the food first? Toby goes first. Oi, governor. I ain't had hot cakes as good as these since the last time I had tuberculosis. Are you being Michael Caine? (laughs) It certainly was edging that way. All right, Toby. The jig is up. Only plus one for that. Oh, come on. Since the last time you had tuberculosis, you haven't had hotcakes this good. Do you really want to try to defend that more? You can only buy them at Sweaty Richards. <laughs> okay, who wants to go next? Mm, mm. Uh, I must say, I'm terribly sorry you've gotten the wrong impression of me that I'm a silent brooding type. It's actually, I've just had my face filled with this porridge for the entire evening. And mm, it is quite delicious. But yes, I do accept your request for marriage. <laughs> All right, so you suggested that your whole face was full of porridge all night. (laughs) All night. I believe it. It's a comedy of errors. (laughs) Night porridge. I guess plus two. I'm not happy with it, but okay. (laughs) Bailey? Thank you so much for for inviting me over to this dinner at your grand estate. I do have to give compliments to these beautiful boiled potatoes. I have never seen a vegetable so beautifully rendered. Which of you lovely ladies was the one to have prepared them? Oh, you have a cook, you say? Well, my, my, my. I will have to propose to one of you later. So Bailey's just quoting Mr. Collins there. And for that, she gets a plus three. <laughs> yeah! <Aww>. <laughs> <laughs> but if I quote the notebook... <laughs> the notebook isn't Jane Austen. and You can tell Brian Gosling that. I think it's based on Northanger Abbey. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. So, Toby, you have a plus one, and let's figure out how you die. <laughs> Come on, the terrors. You've rolled a three plus one. That gets you to four, which is the terrors. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I think Yay. for the character that I've created for this game, that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, lordy. Dylan, you have a plus two. Let's see what happens to you. Oh, you've only rolled a one, which means you get rats, fleas, and barrels. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But finally, something different <laughs> is happening to this foursome married to Bingley. <laughs> Quadruple. Yep. All right, Bailey, it all comes down to this. You have a plus three, so good chance of getting something good, but we'll see. Here we go, immortality. Ooh, no. You rolled a one, which plus three means four, Ooh. which means you're joining terrors. Toby in the terrors. Yes. Maybe we scare each other to death. <laughs> So to to sum it all up, Dylan, Bailey, and Toby are all marrying Mr. Bingley and living in Netherfield together with him. And one day, Dylan succumbs to the rats, <laughs> fleas, and barrels of Netherfield, only to be f- shortly followed by Bailey and Toby and that awful winter where the terrorists came. Even though we had the same fate, I, I like that game. Thank you, Andrew. That was great. Yeah, it was very good. Andrew, I do want to say, did you appreciate in reading the book how Mr. Collins, when Lydia goes away with Wickham, Mr. Collins just writes and is like, okay, so just abandon that daughter. That's what I advise. Yep, I loved that. Mr. Collins also, he's turned to 11 in the adaptations, but he exists at like a 15. It's very true. (laughs) Very true. If you know, you know. All right. Thank you for that game, Andrew. Now it's time for... Mr. Dylan to come out of the rain with his beautiful white shirt and walk up to us and tell us what our fate is. Mr. Dylan, it is time for you to choose books at random from our shelf. It is time for The Choosing. The Choosing. The Choosing. 
Well, for Toby, I mean, I just feel bad <laughs> that he has to record in NorCal all by himself and nowhere to go to, nowhere to fly to, almost like a lonesome dove. That's right. Number 38, Streets of Laredo, the second in the Lonesome Dove series by Larry McMurtry. Ooh. Ooh. Have you read the first one? Yes, I have. Holy moly, I'm really excited. If you guys like Westerns at all, even if you don't like Westerns, you should check out Lonesome Dove. It's incredible. It's so good. But I'm really excited for this one. Ooh, I'm, yeah, I'm amped. Looking forward to it. Cool. Don't pick a Western for me, Dylan. I swear. Well, I mean, I have a lot to do. I have to, like, go to the grocery store. I have to pick up Maggie. Uh I also have to drive my plow over these bones of the dead. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan, you have a small percentage of hit rate on these, but that one was a grand slam. (laughs) That's right. Number 23, drive your plow over the bones of the dead by Olga (laughs) Tokorchuk. Oh, Dylan, that's very good. Uh, I got this from a little free library. The title spoke to me. Um, I think it's something dark. I'm excited. Okay, so that means in two weeks on the podcast, I am reading Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokorczyk. And Andrew and I are reading The People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. It's insanity. (laughs) Quick read. Quick read. Yeah, easy. Light. We'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. And if you'd like to help us find new listeners, one great way to do that is to, especially if you're a beleaguered man living in the countryside, rate us a star for every daughter you're trying to marry off. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, leave us five stars and uh, a review also if you're feeling wild. Uh, that's particularly true for Apple Podcasts and it helps more people see our show. Yes. And if it's been raining on your hair, step out of that <laughs> rain and tell your friend who's nearby about our podcast. They want to hear it from you because you look so bedraggled and adorable. And uh, maybe you've set aside your pride for a moment. No spoilers. Tell your friends. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. 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 Do not kiss. <laughs>